I really struggled to belong uh, and fit in when I was young. I tried to fit in with the soccer team. All the Greek guys were such good soccer players, and I tried to be a goalie, but I was really poor at it. I tried to fit in with my Dominican and Cuban friends in the baseball team, but I was a really inept first baseman as well. And so it really felt like it wasn't really fitting in anywhere. Um, but then one evening, one of the really cool kids at school um, invited me to church. I had never been to church before, and so I said yes. And when I first stepped in there, um, I was welcomed by a really uh, sincere teacher uh, who welcomed me, cared for me, um, and realized that I'd never received the Bible before, so she gave me my very first Bible on the very first day. Uh, since that time, I uh, really sensed, and that whole group really helped me uh, to be welcomed and to be cared for, uh, and realized that they cared for me not because of my academics or my athletics or my ethnicity or anything like that. It was because of who Christ is and was. Uh, I belonged before I believed. Well, before we get started today, I just want to give a quick shout out to Pastor Jeanette and her team for a great Global Awareness Week this past week. We really had a great, great week together with our partners from all over the world and around the city. I don't know how you felt about our TED Talk style messages last Sunday, but I was watching up in Wilmington, and as uh, David and Margarita and Pastor Claire spoke, I found myself saying amen to the screen there in Wilmington. So they were hitting home even to us there. And I'll just never forget uh, David Rowe helping us understand that justification and justice are two sides of the same coin, God's righteous character. I'll never forget uh, Margarita, diminutive Margarita, challenging us to be brave as we go out into our neighborhoods, neighborhoods that are a lot less challenging than the neighborhoods that she walks into every day. And then Pastor Claire telling us about a two-handed gospel, the good news of eternal life in Christ and the good news of relief and recovery for those in need. So along with all of you, I am deeply grateful to be part of a church that's committed to seeing the whole church bringing the whole gospel to the whole world, and we will continue to do that. Now, in past years, we've always had two Sundays of Global Awareness Week, but uh, Jeanette wanted to change it up this year, so we're going to save our second Global Awareness Sunday for later in the year, so you can watch, uh, watch for that. And if you missed a chance to give to our special Global Awareness offering for Potter's House in Guatemala and Boston Project here at home, you can still give in the offering plate or online for the next couple of weeks, and uh, then we'll send that gift off. But today, we want to return to our true belonging theme, which we'll be finishing up these next few weeks here. And to get us back into that belonging space, I'm going to read a few lines from the renowned sociologist Theodore Geisel, better known as Dr. Seuss, okay? <laughs> so I'm going to read from one of his lesser-known works, Sneetches. Now, the star-belly Sneetches had bellies with stars, the plain belly sneeches had none upon thars. Those stars weren't so big, they were really so small, you might think such a thing wouldn't matter at all. But because they had stars, all the star belly sneeches would brag, we're the best kind of sneech on the beaches. With their snoots in the air, they'd sniff and they'd snort, we'll have nothing to do with the plain belly sort. When the star belly sneeches had frankfurter roasts, or picnics, or parties, or marshmallow toasts, they never invited the plain belly sneeches. They left them out cold in the dark of the beaches. 
They kept them away, never let them come near, and that's how they treated them year after year. Well, as you can imagine, the story gets more complicated and more ugly from there. A huckster named Sylvester McBean comes along, and he's got a machine that can place and remove stars from the bellies of Sneetches. So all matter of chaos and confusion breaks out as the Sneetches get stars placed and removed, all trying to figure out which Sneetch is the best on the beaches. Now, we laugh at the story. It's a fun little book. But we know that Dr. Seuss is on to something, that deep down inside, we're a lot more like Sneetches than we'd like to admit. And those divisive and discriminatory tendencies are rearing their ugly heads even today in anti-Semitism, white supremacy, the political polarization of our culture. Belonging is easy when we all come from the same place, when we all speak the same language, when we all believe the same things, when we all live the same way. It's the differences that get in the way that divide us, and that sometimes leave us wondering if we truly belong. And as awful as that is in society, it's even more tragic when we find it in the church. So today, we'd like to talk about how we can handle our differences in the church, the church at large and Grace Chapel in particular. But the differences we speak about are not going to be physical differences like uh, skin color or age or economic status. We're going to talk about differences of belief and practice, theological differences, political differences, differences of the ways that we live out our faith. Because even with all the diversity that we enjoy as a congregation, there are still folks here who aren't sure they truly belong at Grace Chapel, even though they are sincerely seeking and following Jesus. For instance, the person who just came out of prison and wonders what would happen if people knew. The person who's struggling with addiction and can't promise that they won't start using again. The person who believes in the sanctity of life but also believes that a woman has a reasonable right to choose. The woman who's had an abortion. The believer who doesn't support the idea of women in leadership but finds themselves in a church that has women in leadership. The gay or transgender person who's sincerely seeking or following Christ, but whose beliefs or lifestyle may not always align with the traditional point of view. The straight Christian who believes that the Bible allows for gay marriage. The enthusiastic supporter of President Trump who wonders if they are welcome in what they perceive to be a progressive New England church. The enraged critic of President Trump, who wonders if they want to belong to a so-called evangelical church. The scientist who believes in evolution, or the scientist who believes in a six-day creation. The lifelong believer who suddenly finds himself struggling with things like the authority of the Bible or the reality of hell. The Catholic person who goes to a mass at St. Bridget's before coming over here to a service of grace. The Muslim seeker who wonders what would happen if she walked in wearing a hijab. I'm guessing I've got your attention by now. 
These are real people. These are not hypothetical people. These are real people who have spoken to me or someone else here and expressing their uncertainty and their fear about whether they could truly belong here at Grace. And so I'd like to speak into that uncertainty today. Earlier this fall, we held five focus groups, one on each of our campuses. We brought together a cross-section of people from each of those campuses, and for an hour and a half, we just talked to them about life at grace, uh, how we could serve them, how we could serve the kingdom better. And one of the things we heard from every one of those groups was that people said to us, we need to talk about hard things. We need to wrestle with the issues and the challenges facing the church and the culture today, even if they're messy and controversial and risky. And I heard in their request a desire to to dig into the Bible together, to hear what it has to say, to have a safe place to process and discuss these things together as as we navigate this world in which we live. So we're going to do a little bit of that today as we work through some of these issues that I've just raised. We're going to be going to the scriptures and learning what it means to accept one another as Christ accepts us. So this fall, we've been learning that true belonging can be found and should be found in the church. And it was nice to hear Pastor Tom's story there on the video of of finding a place of belonging in the church. And that's the way it ought to be. And so each week, we've tried to identify what kind of church we want to be. What did did Christ imagine when he called this thing called the church into existence? And so we've talked about being a Christ-centered church and a transformative church and a a loving church and a variety of other words like that. Well, today, we're going to talk about being an accepting church, what that means and then what that doesn't mean. So we're going to go one more time, or another time, to the book of Romans and walk through a rather extended passage in Romans 14 and 15. I'm going to ask you to hang with me all the way through till the end, and if you do, I'll tell you what happens to the Sneetches, okay? (laughs) But you've got to stay with me. So let's get to the opening of Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Paul lays down a foundational truth that he's going to build on. He says, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. We've talked about the fact that this church in Rome, this uh, diverse congregation in a very cosmopolitan city, was struggling with issues of unity and belonging. And that's good to know. It's good to know that we're not the only ones. They had a long list of issues in the early church that had the potential to divide congregations. And they often quarreled over those things and treated each other sometimes like snitches. So Paul opens this section with a command to accept one another. He says, accept the one whose faith is weak. And that word accept in the original language, it's a very strong, vivid, and even beautiful word. So can I get away with a quick Greek lesson here? I mean, I started with Dr. Seuss, so I got to reinforce my scholarly credentials here, okay? Uh, So give me a few minutes here. The Greek word Paul uses for accept is a word proslambano. Now, the root of the word is lambano, and it means to, to receive someone into a home or to welcome someone into a circle. It's a really good word. But then he takes this prefix pros and he puts it on the front. And that implies movement towards somebody. So Paul's not just saying that we should accept people who come to us. He's saying that we should actually move towards people and bring them in, even unlikely 
people. Proslambano. It's the same word he uses in his letter to Philemon when he asks him to take back the runaway servant, Onesimus. It's the same word he, that Jesus uses when he tells us that he's going to his father's house but will come back to take us to be with him, to proslambano us into his father's house. It's a beautiful, rich image of reaching out and bringing someone in. And that's what Paul wants these believers to do to one another, warmly welcome each other in spite of their differences. Now, what are those differences, these so-called disputable matters? Well, Paul identifies two here. The one is to not eat meat, whether or not you could eat meat that had been offered to idols. And the other disputable matter had to do with how to observe some of the holy days, how strictly. Now, these might not seem like big issues to us. They might seem quite small. You might think such a thing wouldn't matter at all. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> but it was a big deal. Not eating meat offered to an idol, observing the Lord's day and the holy days, these were big deals in the church. For many, they were, they were, they were matters of essential faith, it seemed like. But they were divided. There were some who, who believed that the, they still had a strict commitment to keeping those ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. And there were others who felt as though they were free in Christ from keeping all those laws. And so that was a deep divide in the church. And they were actually passing judgment on each other, quarreling with each other about who belongs and who's right and wrong. So Paul comes down on the side of freedom in Christ. He felt it was the stronger position. And I find it really significant that Paul uses strong and weak language here, not right and wrong language. He's not creating an inside group and an outside group. We're all in the group. Some have a stronger argument or a weaker faith or something like that. It's a very significant change of language. Because for Paul, these are disputable matters. They're not essential matters. Now, Paul clearly felt as though he had the right position on the matter, the strong position, stronger position, but he's willing to respect and accept those who disagreed with him. So when Paul talks about disputable matters, when we talk about that, we're talking about matters of faith and practice over which sincere, reasonable Christ followers will sometimes disagree. And we referenced some of them in the list we gave at the beginning of the message here. Political differences, theological differences, different ways of living out our faith. Now, to be sure, different traditions will identify different sets of disputable matters and what's disputable and what's not disputable, which only proves that they're disputable. But anyway, <laughs> the point, all I'm trying to say here is that these things are not essential to a person's salvation, to their relationship with God. They're important, they are worthy of study, they are worthy of debate, but they are not worthy of exclusion, and they are not worthy of judgment. In fact, Paul says these are wonderful opportunities for us to accept one another as Christ has accepted us. And in the verses that follow, he's going to give us five reasons for accepting each other. Now, five seems like a lot, 
which only suggests to me that they had as much difficulty accepting each other in the early church as we sometimes have today. So let me quickly walk you through these five. I want you to hear them, and I want you to see them in the scriptures, and then we'll apply them to the questions we began with. The first principle is that we accept each other because God has accepted us in Christ. Because God has accepted us. Let's look at the next couple of verses. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Now it's clear at this point that here Paul is talking primarily about those who are believers in Jesus Christ. Those who have turned to Christ in repentance and faith, received the forgiveness of their sins and the beginning of a new life in Christ. And we know from the rest of Scripture that the only condition for becoming a child of God is to turn to God in repentance and faith, to ask for and receive forgiveness. That's it. We don't become a child of God because of any good works, because we have the right answers to questions, because we've been through some religious ceremony, but simply turning to Christ in faith like the criminal who hung on a cross next to Christ, like the crooked tax collector Zacchaeus, like the woman caught in the act of adultery. You can have a horrible past. Awful things happen to you, awful things that you've done. You you can have no knowledge of Christian doctrine, but if you turn to Christ and ask for mercy, he gives it, and he makes you a son or daughter of God simply on the basis of faith. Jesus will proslambano you, receive you, and bring you in. So if God can accept us like that, simply on the basis of our faith and our seeking Christ, can't we accept each other on that very same basis? Even people whose beliefs don't always align with ours. Paraphrasing Paul's words, where do we get off deciding who belongs to God or not? Only God gets to decide that. Only God knows a person's heart. And he tells us that if a person sincerely professes faith in Christ as Savior and Lord, then they are brother or sister in Christ, period, end of sentence. Now, it would seem like Paul could have stopped right here, but he wants to keep going. Second principle, we accept each other because we are sincerely seeking or following God and his ways. Because we are sincerely seeking God or following, seeking or following God and his ways. Let's jump down to verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each one of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Now again, these were two very hotly debated questions in the church. More conservative believers were scandalized by the cavalier attitudes and behaviors of those who didn't pay attention to the food they eat or the way they celebrated days. And those who felt they had freedom in Christ questioned the the understanding of the gospel of those who we're still keeping those laws. And you call yourself a Christian? We could hear them saying. But Paul points out, both groups of people are sincerely trying to honor God by their behaviors and by their beliefs. 
So understand, Paul's not talking here about, about people who, who claim to be a Christian but demonstrate no interest at all in the things of God. He's not talking about the person who just runs roughshod over all the essential doctrines of the faith, the deity of Christ or the inspiration of Scripture or the salvation through faith. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about the person who consistently and willfully resists God's will and ways, who just lives promiscuously or hurtfully or hatefully without any apparent remorse. He's not talking about a person like that. He's talking about people who genuinely want to see Christ or follow Christ. And because they do, we accept them because Jesus accepts us on the very same terms. The third reason we accept one another is because Christ died for all of us. Christ died for all of us. Verse 8, if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. I want you to think for a minute about that person you struggle with or disagree with in the Christian family, or maybe even outside the Christian family. Someone whose political posts drive you nuts. Someone whose sexual identity you don't understand. Someone who holds a theological position that you find unhelpful, maybe even unbiblical. Think about that person for a moment. And then remember that Jesus died for that person with their name on his mind. He went to the cross and suffered and died on the chance that they might turn to him and receive forgiveness and eternal life. If Jesus loves and values that person that much, how can we do anything less for them as Jesus' followers, knowing that he's done the same for us as well. Fourth, we accept one another because we each have to answer to God and God alone. We each have to answer to God and to God alone. Verse 10, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Paul reminds us here that we are all on a spiritual journey. Day by day, we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. And we've all got a long way to go on that journey. There are echoes of Jesus' words here. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a plank coming out of your own eye? In other words, take care of your own stuff. Is there, is there any one of us that doesn't have aspects of our character and our faith and our belief and our behavior that isn't yet fully what we were, what God calls us to do or to be in this world. Sanctification is God's work. And it, it unfolds differently in every person's life and on a different timeline in every person's life. We can cooperate with it, we can resist it, but it's between that believer and God and it's between you and God. So we all have to answer to God for that, but we answer to God alone for it. So we accept each other's journeys just as Christ accepts our journey. And then finally, we accept one another because we don't want to hinder anyone from getting closer to Christ. 
don't want to hinder anyone from getting closer to Christ. Verse 15. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Isn't our number one concern for every human being that they would be making their way closer and closer to Christ? And don't we want to remove every obstacle that might hinder them from making that journey? And don't we want to encourage them and come alongside them as they make that journey? Now, to be sure, if we think they're making a wrong turn, if we think there's some aspect of their belief or behavior that is misguided, that is hurtful to them or others, then, then we should tell them. We should speak up in love. We should confront and challenge them. Paul's not telling us we should never confront each other or we should never even rebuke each other. In fact, in another one of his letters, Paul says that we should judge each other. But he's talking about judging behaviors, not hearts. And there's a difference. Once we have counseled someone or encouraged them or warned them, all we can do at that point is love them, pray for them, walk with them, and entrust them to Christ's care. And if we think our faith community is a good place for people to make a journey of faith, don't we want them all to come and make the journey with us as well? And so those are the five reasons, the five principles of acceptance. We accept one another because God has accepted us, because we're sincerely seeking God in his ways, because Christ died for all of us, because we each answer to God alone, and because we don't want to hinder anyone from getting closer to Christ. So all right, we've laid those things out. Now how do we apply them to the list of people that we mentioned at the beginning of the message? We don't have time to go after all those messages, all those issues. Let me hit just a couple of them that are most pressing to the church right now. When it comes to political differences we may have with each other, let's remember that we are first and foremost citizens of God's kingdom. And that these political questions of strategy and platform and party, these are disputable matters at best. And let's give fellow believers the benefit of the doubt that if they're pursuing a particular political strategy or point of view, they're doing so out of a heart to honor God and to see God's work advance in this world. They may have a different, very different way of seeing that happen than we see it happen, but let's give them the benefit of the doubt that we all want the same thing. And so we should discuss these things. We can even debate these things, but we dare not let them divide us. We cannot let them divide the church. Let's show the world what it looks like to be a diverse and united community. In terms of doctrinal differences, whether it's women in leadership or creation and evolution or the realities of hell, we need to remember that people on both sides of those questions love Jesus, they read their Bibles, they want to do their best to seek and follow Christ. Paul didn't expect everyone in the church to agree with him or to agree with each other. He just expected us to accept each other. 
and to continue to search the scriptures together. And when it comes to matters of sexuality and marriage, let's remember that, that this is just one of many areas of all of our lives in which we need to grow in grace. Is there a person among us that isn't on their way to healing and wholeness in the sexual dimension of our lives? The historic and majority view here at Grace is that God designed men and women for heterosexual intimacy and marriage. And so we preach that and we practice that. So I don't want to misrepresent us. In terms of gay marriage, we're not an open and affirming church. But we are an open and accepting church. We, we believe that sexual orientation is not a qualifier or a disqualifier for a relationship with God. A gay or transgender person can have a relationship with Christ on the very same terms that a straight person has a relationship with Christ through faith in him. We also understand there are brothers and sisters in Christ who believe the Bible allows for gay marriage. Now, if, if, if you're willing, if you believe that and you're willing to accept us, knowing that we disagree, then we happily accept you as well. And let's make this journey together towards wholeness and wellness in Christ. There's obviously a whole lot more we could say about any one of these issues and that last one in particular. But I don't want this to be the sermon about gay marriage. I want this to be the sermon about acceptance. We'll have other opportunities to talk about these other things. And if you're having an issue with something I've said or didn't say, then please reach out to me personally. I'd be happy to keep the conversation going. So what's our answer to all those people we mentioned at the beginning of the message who are wondering if they can truly belong at a place like Grace Chapel? On the basis of what we've read here in Romans 14 and 15, the answer is a resounding yes. Yes, you can truly belong here because we are a community of people who are seeking and following Christ. We're a Christ-centered community. If you are at all moving in that direction, seeker, skeptic, follower, and you can belong here. We, we proslambano you. And I should point out as I talk about all these things that when I talk about belonging, I'm not specifically talking about membership. For reasons of church governance, we do have a formal membership here at Grace and a process for becoming a member that has a little more specificity in terms of belief and practice. We value membership, but you don't have to be a member to belong here at Grace, to worship, serve, and grow with us. So let me leave you with Paul's final words on the subject. He summarizes the whole section in chapter 15, verse 7. Accept one another then just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. In other words, we accept each other as Christ accepts us. That's really the, the bottom line of acceptance. That's the big idea of this passage. We truly belong to each other when we accept each other as Christ accepts us. And how does he accept us? As flawed and fallen people on our way to wholeness as we seek and follow Christ. Doesn't that include all of us? Anyone on that journey? If he accepts us that way, how can we do anything less than to accept one another as well? Well, you've been a great audience, and I promised I'd tell you how the Sneetches ends, okay? Thanks for hanging with me through all the tough going there.
The good news is that their story does not end in chaos and confusion. At a certain point, they came to the realization that, that their differences didn't have to divide them. I'll read the final line of the book. But McBean was quite wrong. I'm quite happy to say that the Sneetches got really quite smart on that day. The day they decided that Sneetches are Sneetches, and no kind of Sneetch is the best on the beaches. That day, all the Sneetches forgot about stars and whether they had one or not upon theirs. And I realize we're not going to resolve all these issues in one day. Lots more conversations to go as we process these things. The church will be wrestling with things like this until the day when Jesus comes and proslambanos us to himself. But I hope that on this day, we can decide to accept one another as Christ accepts us. Let's pray. We are grateful, Lord, for time and places like this to wrestle with challenging issues. We thank you that we're not alone, that we have the scriptures in front of us to guide our thinking, that we have your Holy Spirit to illumine those writings and speak into our own hearts, that we have one another and a variety of perspectives to help us work these things through. We know we're not there yet. We're all on the way. But we thank you for taking us and meeting us as we are and leading us to who you want us to be. So we'll trust you for that, Lord. Give us, give us grace towards each other, grace towards those who are near and far from you. And may we together be a group of people seeking and following Jesus. We're grateful, Lord, we have an opportunity now to gather around the communion table. That reminder of all you have done for us, your presence in our midst. Make these moments meaningful, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.